It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. And welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, August 30th, 2020, and we are back live after a couple of weeks off. And I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and I hope that you're all staying safe wherever you are while we keep you informed and entertained. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment joins us this evening, producer of this program, and he is here to make the show run smoothly as usual. And we have another great program in store for you. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined by Robert Glazer, Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling author of Elevate and regular columnist for Forbes, Inc., and entrepreneur. And he is going to be here to discuss his latest book, Friday Forward, Inspiration and Motivation to End Your Week Stronger Than It Started. And then later in the program, we'll be hearing from twins Minerva and Ruben, who will be checking in from Bay of Bandadas, Mexico, to let us know about some travel spots in Mexico. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guest. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmaracarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with all of the website links given by my guest on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going to Blog Talk Radio, that's B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years and you can also listen on apple podcast right after the program and for information from previous programs and to listen to previous programs you can go to my website they're all there for the past from the past six and a half years drmaracarpell.com and they're also on blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and I understand that they are all now on Apple Podcasts and to find out about upcoming events follow me on Facebook Dr. Mara Carpell, your golden years this evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment Postal Productions and Psyched Up Productions And we're going to take a brief break. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be very brief. And when we come back, we'll be joined right here by Robert Glazer to talk about his latest book, Friday Forward. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. 
Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone, we have Robert Glazer, Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author of the book Elevate and regular columnist for Forbes, Inc., and entrepreneur. And he's joining us now to discuss his latest book, Friday Forward, Inspiration and Motivation to End Your Week Stronger Than It Started. Welcome, Bob. Are you there? Uh, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. I just want to let you know when we do this, there's a slight delay. So yep. just to keep that in mind. <laughs> So how are you this evening? Thanks so I'm much good. for joining us. Uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you about these about your books that I really appreciate that you sent to me. I've really enjoyed them, Elevate and Friday Forward. Um, and I'm I'm excited to have a chance to talk to you about them. So yeah, looking forward. Yeah, so so maybe before we jump into that, um, you can talk a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I have a, a, a day job and then sort of an afternoon and an evening job. My day job is um, founder and CEO of a marketing agency called Acceleration Partners. Um, we have uh, about 170 people now uh, across the world, and we work in the area of partner or affiliate marketing. Um, but as as we grew the company, uh, I became kind of passionate about culture and how we were building the company and a lot of the things that, that we were doing uh, differently. And those are the things that I started to, to write about and to share. And and then some of that writing became the, the afternoon and, and evening uh, job. So so I, I, I my responsibilities are pretty, pretty split now between, um, uh, you know, what, what, what we do here. And then I, I also really do enjoy kind of taking some of the concepts and the things that we've uh, rolled out here that I think can help organizations and other companies and, and, and sharing those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and is that how you came up with the book Elevate? Yeah, so, so uh, it, it, it all, uh, Friday Ford, the book is actually a little bit of, of a prequel. So, so what actually happened was um, I started, I went to a pretty intensive leadership program about seven years ago. I started really improving my morning routine, and uh, one of the things that was really recommended was to, to read and write and read something positive, and 
the stuff that we were given to read was a little too rainbow and unicorny for me. So mm-hmm. I decided I'd start writing this note on Friday mornings to my team, and it was just about getting better or improvement or quotes and stories and things that I had found. And I was sharing it. I was doing it for about five or six weeks. I didn't think anyone was really even reading it. And then I did start to get a bunch of emails back, people saying, oh, I, I did this or I, and, and also that I shared this with my, my wife's company or my, I shared this with my brother, and he shared it. And it, it became clear that these notes were kind of leaving the, the company. And so I, I actually shared what I was doing with a few other people and opened it up so uh, anyone could sign up and, and dumped a couple hundred friends on the list and just to see if anyone was interested. And, and I thought I'd get all these kind of, you know, take me off the, these things on Friday. Um, but I didn't, and it just, uh, I renamed it Friday Forward because it was getting forwarded, and it was being kind of within within a couple of years, it was being shared across 50 countries and 100,000 people, and that, that's, wow. that's when I decided I, I wanted to write a book. Um, and I wrote this book Friday Forward, and I pulled a bunch of the best ones together, and all the editors told me, uh, the agents told me that no one likes a compilation book, and you can't get that as your first book, and one of those agents said the same thing to me, but he said, I think there's a story here. Like, what's the story behind these messages and the whole thing? And actually, that led me to two years of sort of thinking through that and rewriting and led me to the book Elevate, which was my first book. Okay, okay. Um, so, you know, I I know that the Elevate really focuses mostly on creating the four capacities that you talked yeah. about, building four capacities, and then you get into the those notes that you sent out to everybody in Friday Forward. Um, can you talk a little bit about those capacities? Um, it, it reminded me somewhat, you know, uh, of how I sort of structured my book, The Passionate Life, sort of, you know, similar in terms yeah. of like mind, body, spirit. Like yeah, very I think no, no, nothing, nothing's totally new. So, so what happened was when I went right. back and looked at all these stories and looked at the themes and looked at what we were doing at our company and what I was doing to sort of improve my life and business, I just these same things kept coming up and there were these four elements of capacity building. Capacity building is really the process by which you get better. So spiritual capacity mm-hmm. is not religious. It's about understanding kind of who you are, what you want most, standards you want to live by. I think for most of us, it's really our core values or our core purpose. Intellectual capacity is then how you improve your ability to think, learn, plan, execute with discipline. I think of this as kind of your operating system, uh, things like setting your long-term goals, having routines, habits, accountability. Physical capacity, I think we understand that more directly and how we get better at it, but it's your health and your well-being and physical performance, um, kind of getting sleep, managing stress, uh, building resilience, all, all those things. And then the last one, which is often the hardest for people, is emotional capacity. And this is how you react to challenging situations, things that you don't control, your emotional mindset, and sort of the quality and type of your relationships. So it's really about how you interact with the outside world. And I, I describe them as sort of quadrants of a ball. And, you know, if you think about it, if that ball's sort of growing and the chambers are growing at the same time, it has more mass, it's going to roll faster. And if you if, it, if if one of these really falls off, you you kind of get out of whack and have a little bit of a, a bouncy ball. So I, that framework became very illuminating for me around sort of how you get better and how you understand maybe which 
part of the equation you might might be holding you back. Mhm, mhm. So you know, I was thinking about uh, you know uh, how a lot of people ask me. Um, so how do you find out what your your spiritual capacity sort of reminded me of finding your passion, finding what you know you yeah. talk about it as your core values. Yeah. Um, and people always ask me, well, how do you figure that out if you don't know? And I know that you get into that a little bit in your book, so maybe you could talk about that. How I, how do you find that? Yeah, you know, I think you discover it. You don't find it. So. so Understanding your core valuables, which are these sort of non-negotiable principles for you, is a pretty good – your passion is probably going to be aligned to that. So I think a lot of us, we sort of get into trouble. I, I call it sort of the electric fence. Like you kind of hit the electric fence, you get shocked. You know when you cross a core value, but you don't – you're not able to articulate it enough to know how to stay away from the fence and stay in the middle of the road and where you should be. So there's some there's some kind of steps in, in Elevate on how to get started on that process. It's the thing I get asked about the most. So I'm actually launching mm-hmm. in about two weeks a course on discovering your core, personal core values. It's something we've tested and done with our leaders over the year. And it's it's just sort of game-changing when you can have these four or five principles on your desk and say, this is who I am. When I do things aligned to this, I feel good. When these things are crossed, I feel bad. And in terms of, like, discovering your passion or finding your passion, it's probably going to be really aligned to those things. So – I, I, I think all of us kind of inherently know our core values. We might know it through trial and error. When you can articulate it, put it on your desk, as I talk about kind of like big three decisions, like who, who you choose as a partner, where you live, your vocation and where you work, like those are decisions that if they're not really core value aligned, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of success. Mhm. Mhm. Right. Yeah, I mean, so... You know, a lot of people talk about their passion, and they think about it as just something I like to do. But I think it goes deeper than that. It goes to the values that you just that you just talked about. Yeah, and it gets to how, right? Um, for some people, that it's not like your your passion might be science or whatever, but it's how you show up, right? So one of my things that I discovered is that I like to kind of I described before. I like to figure out a better way to do something and share it. That's a core value of mine. That's sort of a like core purpose and a why for me. So that's a lot of what I said about kind of discovering in the business and then also writing the books and sharing those principles. That can be a lot of different things, but that's the mechanism. And this is why sometimes the passion, that's the mechanism that that sort of makes me happy and fulfilled. Like a lot of people might love operations or just, you know, operating things really well, but you can do that in a lot of different Areas And I think sometimes, you know, finding that, that passion or, it, you know, it makes us think we have to find this exact thing that we were meant to do when I think, you know, it could show up in a lot of different ways if we're clear about the type of, of, of work and the type of things that we do that, that bring us energy and the ones that really just drain our energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's not just, oh, I like to do this task this particular type of task it's what really makes you feel right. alive when you do right it. you might like as an example <laughs> just very clearly you might you might like flying you might like fl- fl- flying but that might be part of you just like going fast <laughs> you know or you like uh-huh. being in things that move fast and maybe a race car would provide you that same sort of thing so i again i, I for most of us if we if you can if you can tell me someone's four or five values, I can probably pick a lot of things that they can do that would really be deeply fulfilling for them. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you mind, I, you know, when I was looking through your book, I sort of dog-eared a lot of pages and underlined things. <laughs> is, is, would it be okay if I kind of mention those and see if you can it's your, it's, extend it's your, it's on your that? It's your party. Uh, I'm, just, right. I'm just visiting. So. <laughs> That's what I love doing about this show, being able to talk about the things in the book that someone has written and ask them further about it. Sure. <laughs> so in one of the Friday forwards, um, you, in fact, the first one about, you know, raising your values, you talked about this sociological study yeah. um, that compared two groups of neighbors, um, non-Jews who raised it, risked their lives to save Jews during the Holocaust and non-Jews who did nothing. And that really struck me. I've never heard of that study. So... Yeah, what Adam you, Adam, you know, Adam Grant had had uh, highlighted that in his book um, Originals, and it was the focus was on what made people sort of help others during the Holocaust. And when they when they broke down those groups, they just they found that the group of people who all helped the non-Jews who helped Jews overwhelmingly talked about their childhood and values and and things that their parents had taught them. So that because and this is the problem with rules, right? A rule. If you, don't, if you have a rule book and something hasn't happened before, you don't have a rule for it. But I think their values were, were just what was taught to them. It just made them obvious what it was that they should do rather than saying, well, no one told me I was supposed to put out my neck and help people. It was just that those families referenced, like, certain values that their parents had taught them um, considerably mm-hmm. more than, than the other group. And I, I think that's true for people and organizations. I think that if you have clear Values it covers hundreds or thousands of decisions or rules, right? Rather than this 200-page rule book <laughs> that, that no one's ever going to read. Right, right. And I, I'm I'm thinking about it as as um, you know this society in general yeah. helping each other and being someone who actually does something for someone else rather than just thinking about ourselves. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, has to be taught and it has to be valued and it has to be rewarded, you know, by your family. So so a family that really, you know, rewards, uh, and I don't mean rewards like gives prizes, but I, I think what the behaviors that are, you know, rewarded by any group are the ones that sort of then are, are, are displayed. So, you know, help, if helping others is something that is taught and, and rewarded, then people will, you know, take to doing that. If it's not ever modeled or showed or rewarded, then they they probably you know won't. Right, right. I, I'm ju- you know I'm thinking about the situation that we're right we're in right now in this yeah. pandemic, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and look, there's it, no there's no rules for this. So I think for a lot of people, it's what are your values? And I think you just this is where I think you see a lot of hypocrisy in all of our our political acrimony is is not a consistent application of values, right? It, it is someone, you know, uh, chastising the behavior on one side and then rewarding it on the other. And that, that all that does is send people mixed messages, right? If it's, if it's, if it, I would say if it's, if it's something that's bad, it should be bad if it's red and it should be bad if it's blue and it should be good if it's red and as good as blue. I just, I think we've gotten really mixed and it's making our response to this pandemic really hard because it's become so political and we don't we don't seem to have 
you know, in some other places, you don't have that value. When you think about masks, like the value of help yeah. your neighbor and do it to protect someone else. Like in some areas, that's valued, but in other areas, it's clearly not. It's it's what's valued is individualism. And I think you're seeing this in our in our country, which is really, you know, in some ways showing itself to be a, a group of states <laughs> rather than a rather than a unified mm-hmm. country under a under a value system. Right, and that's exactly. I wrote my. I wrote a little note in the margin here saying masks. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking about. Like, do we need a, a law that says that we have to wear a mask, or do we do it because we know that we want to protect our neighbors? Well, 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 look. There's some people who say that the utmost value is protecting your neighbors and taking care of other, taking care of others. There are others who believe that the utmost value is individual liberty and freedom. And, and, you know, those are in conflict right now. So, so which is the – if this was an organization, you would say which is the hierarchical value. Um, but I don't think there's agreement on which is the hierarchical value. Hmm. That's interesting. So, so how would you deal with that in an organization? If, 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 so <laughs> if, it, if, I was, if this was an organization or a family – I would say uh-huh. that, you know, and, and look, values are often in conflict. I've seen this even with our leaders. Well, we'll figure out two of their core values. And I was like, you need to be clear about which one of those is higher for you because sometimes those are in conflict. So if this was a family organization, it, it, it depends, right? Let's say I was the leader and I was, you know, you know, really instilling that. I would say, yeah, we really believe in individual freedom here. However, there are times when we need to lay down our individual freedom to help each other. But someone in another organization or society might say the opposite. We we help each other unless it violates our individual freedom. So, I, I, I'm not I'm not sure that it's it's right or wrong. I I think it's just I think we again we're not we are a country, but there are very different value sets as we're we're seeing amongst that, mm-hmm. and and people believe deeply in those. Right. In, right. In the individualism one really helps in some cases. In some cases, it really, it really doesn't. Sure. Mask, mask wearing is one of them. Right. Yeah. I guess. I guess it depends on like what are the consequences of not wearing a mask in order to like to protect your individual freedom versus the consequences of wearing a mask to protect other people, like. So if you wear a mask to protect other people, how much freedom are you really giving up? Um, But there are Um, some people who just believe that that's a slippery slope, right? And I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying, like, if you you believe in something that deeply, you say that once we go down that road, we're going to be asked, then we're going to be asked to give up this. I mean, that that is why they believe that. Um, I'm not saying I agree with it uh, or that's how I would rate, but I think that is the, I mean, that is, Th- those are the values that have been ingrained over over generations. Right, right. Well, that's interesting. And I know that you know you talked about how um, in this study it was found that parents who encouraged critical thinking in their children, those were the children who tended to grow up to be helpers. Yeah, well, one of the things that's really interesting, both for praise and criticism with kids that's been studied a lot, or just even adults, is 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 to you know criticize uh, an action, not character, and pr- don't praise character, but praise action. So 
there was some study that if you, I think Adam Grant also talked about related to that, where if you said to people, you know, don't please don't drink and drive versus don't be a drunk driver, they, they were they were less likely to to drink and drive in the second scenario because you're sort of applying that as a defining characteristic for them. Similarly, you know, to say to a kid like you're being lazy or by not getting out of bed you are being lazy right now versus you are lazy, right? So when you apply the characteristic, you're telling them that's who they are and they can't change. When you're pointing out the behavior, that's something that they have control over. Mm, mm-hmm. Right, right. That Similarly, like you should, I, in some ways people say don't tell a kid that they're smart, <laughs> Right. Tell them that they did something smart, not that they just are into, they're just smart, and that gives them a you know a free pass in life. Yeah, well, that's true because you know I think there are times that you set people up for failure. Right. Um, because they think well, they can do anything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, there was something in here that made that remind me. Oh yeah, you were talking about snowplow parents. Yeah. And that that, that, that term I first heard from sense. from the principal uh, assistant director of a school. We were talking something about helicopter parents, and he said, "Oh, we call them we call them snowplow parents now because helicopter uh-huh. parents will kind of hover. Now the snowplow parents are really just trying to get everything out of the way." And there's a great quote that I that I like. Like I think that. I think a parent's job is to prepare their kids for the path. I think in the last 10 or 15, maybe 20 years, it's really been flipped where there's really parents out there sort of preparing the path for their kids. Like the world should be ready for my kids. And I, and I think it has pretty bad consequences when you see something like a pandemic or where you get into situations where, you know, not everything is, is perfect or, or rosy and you're, you're used to all that, you know, all those boulders mm-hmm. being moved out of your way. Right, right. And in fact, I was thinking about when I read about that, read that, um, about parents who are, you know, right now helping their children with distance learning because of the yeah. pandemic. And um, and they're really frustrated because things aren't perfect rather than allowing a learning curve and allowing a level of frustration that is normal with, you know, that happens in life. This is an obstacle and we have to learn how learn how to overcome it it's not going yeah. to just be one two three <laughs> yeah if you if you do some longitudinal study i am sure that that the kids who are in sort of prime development years through this you know later in life will be far more more resilient um i'm not I'm not saying it's not going to be difficult there's a lot of mental health issues a lot of stuff going on but you know the ability to accept this reality like we're not we're not entitled to things always going the right way or perfectly or you know Stuff happens throughout mm-hmm. history, but I think it'll be interesting to follow in the long run because it's you know it's been a pretty good couple decades and peaceful, and it hasn't for most people it hasn't been that difficult. And 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 you know this is a real difficult thing that brings perspective. Yeah, you know I was just thinking about that the other day. I was thinking the the kids who I think more than trying to make the path easy for them and to figure out for them all the, you know, how to get over this obstacle. Um, It seems that the more important part of it is the emotional support. Yeah. My wife and I, you know, had, had a talk with my daughter the other night, I think, you know, about some stuff where she was 
kind of struggling with some of the difficulties and isolation, and we were kind of just talking about the reality and what we can do and what we can't do, and and you know what you know all of her stuff was canceled this summer, like but you know we're we're healthy, we're safe, we have food to eat, like the, it, a lot of it is is perspective around. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they're seeing a lot of stuff on social media about what other people are doing or, you know, one group's being safe and they're seeing another group of kids not being safe. And, I, you know, it's very hard, um, particularly when you know what everyone else is doing to just worry about what you're doing. You know, social media right. is made it for teenagers these days that you just, you see every party you're not at, you see everything everyone's doing, like, that's really takes a toll on you. That's not anything anyone would have even known you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so it, that, that whole thing, you know, giving that emotional support rather than, you know, parents who are wearing themselves out to figure out this distance learning perfectly to make it go extremely smoothly rather than focusing on that emotional support that you're giving to your daughter. Um, you know, I think that those kids are missing out. The ones who get the emotional support through this obstacle, as you said, I was thinking those are kids that are going to be extremely resilient when they get older. Yeah. Again, it comes they to, went the path ana- to the path analogy. Like, I, I give them some tools and a hedge clipper and some shoes and things that they will need, you know, on that journey, not run out there and remove all the obstacles in front of them because look they're going to they're going to do something in life they're going to fail they're going to try to start a business they're not going to get a job like these are you know all, all all the 20 years of helicopter parenting i mean there's so many 20 year olds you know in therapy and stuff these days because the real world's not as easy as they were led on to believe and they they don't have those reps and when the stakes were low their parents didn't let them fail you know, I remember seeing one side say, look, my daughter forgot her basketball shoes, and, and I didn't bring them to her, and it was really embarrassing that day. And you know what? She never forgot her basketball shoes again. Like, and her life wasn't over. But, but, we think, but we think we have to bring those shoes, or it would be the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And I, I, I always remember, you know, um, my first test in college, I, I got a C, or I might have even gotten a D. I don't remember. I think I blocked it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was probably the best thing that could have happened to me in college because I learned that my study, my the way that I studied for high school was not going to work in college. Yeah. And so I had I had to, on my own, figure out how to study for college. Yeah. And I did. Great. You know, I did really well, but I don't think I would have done as well if I hadn't had that failure experience. So protecting kids from failure is really not helping them in any way. No, it's and, and, and unfortunately, you know, they, there's a lot of studies around valedictorians and how they do in the long run. We're like, you got to make mistakes, and we don't really value making mistakes. You know, we've got this very high-pressure, high-achievement culture, um, which just sort of forces – compliance and getting things right and look think about all the brilliant creators and researchers and people in the world i mean they they had to try stuff or the thomas Edison, you know ten thousand ways to make the light bulb work i mean if he was afraid mm-hmm. of getting that wrong we would have never had the light bulb so i i really think this path we've gone down of just uh this super high achievement and not taking risk and that you know if you try don't take a course you might not like because if you get a c then 
you know, you can't go to an elite university. I mean, that that is all of that is counterintuitive to what actually creates success and trying something and realizing you don't like it and trying something else. I mean, most of most of mm-hmm. the very high achievers figure out something they're really good at and don't do all the other stuff. They don't they don't try to have, you know, really be really good all around the board. They try to be excellent in one area and don't worry about the other areas. Mhm. Mhm. So as you can see, your book has triggered off a lot of thoughts <laughs> for me as well as that idea of, you know, having a good morning routine like you yeah. talked about. Um, you know, before we go, though, I, I I wonder if you have some words of wisdom or advice for people listening right now who kind of feel like they're in limbo and they can't move forward or be successful or even think about what they want to do or what path to take because the world seems to be in a state of limbo. Um, yeah. any, any thoughts about that? This goes a lot to emotional capacity. I talk about this in, in both books and in the stories, but I, I think we really conflate the things that we control and we don't control. And, you know, we do not control the fact that we're in a global pandemic, but we control how we respond to it, who we spend our time with, you know, what we do, whether we finally leave that job that we hate that's now, you know, even worse. Um, So oftentimes the initial thing that happens is not, I always say, like, two people get into a car crash in the morning. Like, that happened, right? But then one goes, wow, I'm really lucky, and goes back to work and, like, whatever, I have insurance, and goes on with their life. And the other just stews and is angry for two days, right? They both experience the same thing, but... You know, the one who says, well, it's all because I got in this car crash. It messed up my whole week. Well, it didn't for the other person. <laughs> so the, right. you know, the, that, that we, I, I think that it's really important to break up. Give up the stuff that you don't control and stop worrying about it. And, and, and I think spend your day on what you can control. And that is really both game-changing and liberating for a lot of people. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah I think that's really powerful, very powerful. Um, throughout life, whether it's in the pan during the pandemic yeah. or everyday life, yeah, yeah, that that yeah. that example of the, the the accident, you know, I mean, that one person mm-hmm. just went off the rails for the old week, and the other was like, wow, could have been worse, and went back to their life and got promoted and signed a new client, and you know, it it happened, like, but 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 they chose what what happened next. Mhm, mhm. So great advice, and I really. I'm enjoying this book and and the Friday forwards and getting your and getting your Friday forwards uh, in my email every Friday. I'm enjoying that as well. Um, so so how can listeners um, find out more about your books? Or I know that this sure. book Friday Forward is launching this Tuesday. Tuesday, right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can find everything at Robert Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R.com. Uh, there I've got the podcast. You can sign up for Friday Forward. You can learn about the books. Um, so it's all in the courses in a few weeks. So it's all it's all right there. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm going to post that on my website post about this great. program later tonight. And okay. people would just go there and click on it. So thank you so much for being on the program. Thank um, you for having me, Mara. Yeah, and um, enjoying the book. So thanks for the book. <laughs> thanks. No problem. Thank you, you very much. You, you have, you have a good evening. Okay. You too.
All right. Bye-bye now. Bye. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpel.com. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on Blog Talk Radio and on drmaracarpell.com. And um, I think that I... I think that we have discussed everything in this interview that I wanted to talk about, about living a passionate life, even during a pandemic. So um, we're going to go right to the the interview with um, Minerva and Ruben in Bay of Bandadas, Mexico. Puerto Vallarta, Jalisco. The town name comes from a cross 
This is made of one of the wood, which is located at the town's entrance. You can see the tree as you enter the town. There are several things that you can do. You can go to the Wichel Museum and see the work that the Wichel Olympians made with the glass vest. Also, there is a great place to go surfing or sunbathing at the Desiladeras Beach. <laughs> if you have a boat, you can go to the Marina Rivera Nayari. The largest full-service marina on the Pacific side of Mexico. This marina was built by a family from Spain and has over 340 slips that can hold boats 30 to 400 feet long. There are many fine restaurants and market shops as well in La Cruz. Okay. Can people get a boat tour to see the whales when they're in season? Yes, the season here. It's in the winter, and many people come tours to see them in the water. They're very, very sick, and most other whales to keep boats from getting too close, because many of the whales have baby clothes. Mm. That sounds like a great place to go, and I can't wait to go see it again. Um, now, can you tell me about any changes there with the coronavirus? Have things gotten any better? There are still several cases of corona, but they are opening more places such as galleries, coffee spaces, regular stores. But you must take precautions and keep your distance. Okay. All right. Good plan. So thank you both again. Uh, where are you taking us next time? Adios. All right. <laughs> so next time, let me let you know what's going on um, in the upcoming weeks since we're about to run out of time. Um, we'll be off next Sunday for Labor Day weekend, and we'll be back on September 13th with another show live from Austin, Texas. And we'll be joined by couples and family counselor Terry Burns. And we'll have more on that show to be announced. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show um, and find out about upcoming shows, read read my blog, then go to my website, drmaricorpel.com. Also be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpel, your golden years for upcoming events. And you can listen to this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years, and also listen on Apple Podcasts. This evening's show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psych-Up Productions. And special thanks to my guests, Robert Glazer and Minerva and Rudin in Mexico. And, of course, thank you, Art, and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring couple of weeks. Stay safe for Labor Day weekend. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. 
Guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. Ooh, wow.